Hello, my name is Cy Gart. I'm a scientist, a writer, and a Christian, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, The Works of His Hands, which is also the title of my prize-winning book published by Kriegel Press with an introduction by Alistair McGrath. The subtitle of the book, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith, describes the major theme of the book, and this podcast will include episodes on similar themes, not just about my own personal journey, but also exploring the connections between modern science and Christian faith. Remember, science is distilled doxology. Once I retired, I uh, began pursuing an interest I have in, uh, and I've had for a while, in the whole issue of origin of life. A lot of people, of course, are doing research in that field, but my interest is very specific, and it has to do with the question of self-replication and the accuracy of self-replication in life. The key thing to understand here is that abiogenesis is not considered to be part of the evolutionary story. And that's important because we know the mechanism of evolution, but it can't be, at least I believe, it cannot be the same mechanism that would explain the origin of life. And even Darwin you know, didn't talk about it. Richard Dawkins says very little. He just says it, it only happened, had to happen once. And then he says a few other things, but in his better books, he, he says that's not something that is part of evolution. And so you can, you can be an evolutionary creationist, meaning that you believe that evolution is one of the laws of God, basically, like gravity or electromagnetism, but uh, that doesn't mean that you're committed to a natural cause for abiogenesis. If somebody figured out that there is a path to the origin of life through purely natural chemical processes, uh, I could be convinced, but I frankly don't think that's going to happen. And the number of problems with an abiogenesis from chemistry to life is just staggering. As James Tour often says, that just the chemistry part of it is extremely difficult to imagine. And I'm focused on what happens, let's say everything works out great and you have some soil organization and you actually end up with a cell. <laughs> You, you could have a very good cell. You could have a, a, a great membrane with all kinds of enzymes inside that are metabolizing away. You could have an energy generating system. Uh, that cell may live for a long time. It may have a very high probability of survival. If you don't have any replication of the genetic material, eventually it's going to die and then, then you're done. When people talk about evolution, they talk about natural selection and mutations. But there's another aspect to, cell, to evolution, which is almost always just skipped over and taken for granted. And that is the question of accurate, very, very accurate self-replication. DNA replication is accurate at 99.999999%. And the same thing is true for the, for the translation system. It's a little less accurate, but it's 99.9999%. Nothing in the world self-replicates, nothing. The only thing that self-replicates are living cells. Let's say you have a, a house and a couple is living in a house. They love the house. They have a couple of kids and it's in a beautiful neighborhood. It's a great house. Everything they have in it is great. And the kids decide 
they want a house exactly like that. And so they tell their parents, I want a house right next door, right near you, but exactly identical to everything in this house, including the furniture, the paintings, the books, the clothing, everything. You could do that. You could hire, you know, let's say the parents say, okay, we'll hire a, we'll hire a contractor, we'll get an architect, we'll look for all the same furniture, <laughs> we'll buy all the same books if we can find them. And you could do that. It would take a long time and a lot of effort. But one thing you cannot do is find a house that replicates itself. And a house, no matter how much you have in that house, no matter how much you have stored in the closet or in the attic, contains nothing compared to what's in a cell. A cell has a billion protein molecules. And, and that's just the beginning. I mean, all the organelles, all the membranes. And if, if you look at a cell that replicates, let's say a simple bacterium, and you look at the two daughter cells, they're pretty much identical to the original parent cell. And that happens every 20 minutes. If you, if you hold to evolution, you tend to think that everything that modern life has evolved because it was better. So there was natural selection and it evolved. So the first answer you get is, well, okay, well, uh, obviously replication is extremely beneficial. But then my question is, but wait a minute, evolution to work in order to allow these things to develop has to be already include replication because the whole point of evolution is, you know, if a bird gets a better eye and has a better eyesight, that gives him a selective advantage. But if his kids don't inherit that, what good is it? So you have to have accurate inheritance even to start evolution. So how do you get accurate inheritance before those accurate inheritance? You, you have to replicate the entire phenotype of the cell in order to get evolution started. So how do you do that? They do it by making proteins, making all the enzymes. It's the enzymes that give the phenotype to a cell. You have the DNA which carries the information and, and gets replicated, but now you have to translate, you have to come up with a translation system. So the issue is how do you translate nucleotide chemistry to protein chemistry? Because those are two completely different types of chemical molecules. You need an incredibly complex translation system, which includes transfer-RNA and ribosomes, and of course, these incredible enzymes called uh, amino acyl tRNA synthetase, which actually translates, and that's where the genetic code originates. And that has to work well. How do you get that working well without evolution? Darwin originally had said that gradualism was critical to his theory, which is that every change would have to be itself small so that it could happen and have an, an advantage, a selective advantage. If that could be disproven, his theory would be wrong. And, that, and by the way, that's called the continuity principle. And the reason that's been disproven is because the evidence, which includes engulfing of one cell by another cell, and also includes, for example, very rapid evolutionary changes that occurred, that we know occurred based on things like explosion of new species and many other things. Just to give one illustration where there's a lot of data, we know that at the beginning of vertebrates, there was a couple of whole genome duplications where the entire genome duplicated itself. Extremely rare event that's happened a few times, 
in the history of life. And that also was a major change. It wasn't any longer gradual or continuous. And that's the basis of the paper. The title of the paper set is, is about the origin of self-replication and the continuity principle. And the whole point of the paper is that if you're going to have accurate self-replication, you must violate the continuity principle. So now the question is, what does that mean? When we violate continuity, was Darwin right? Should we throw away evolution? I mean, that's one argument you could make. But Darwin got a lot of other stuff wrong, not surprisingly. I mean, he lived before we knew yeah. anything about, about much. So what you have to do is you have to change the theory to admit mechanisms for these what's called saltational events. In other words, jumps. Uh, I think we have to be open to this idea of non of discontinuity of gaps. And the endosymbiosis to me is an example of that. If you just if you just take ribosome and RNA and all the ingredients and mush them together, you may get 40 to 50% accuracy. I mean, you need all that other stuff to have anything close to 90, never mind 99.999. And that's true in all modern life. So that's why I started working on this project that resulted in this paper. Because what I have done in this paper is I said, okay, forget all the details of the biochemistry. Forget it. We don't know what the, de what the details were. Is it theoretically possible, no matter what the mechanism is, for a cell with a very low uh, replication accuracy to survive and evolve. How high does that replication accuracy have to be? And I did it through a, uh, a very simple statistical model, which I developed into a computer program, et cetera. And the results were very surprising and very striking. And that's in the paper. And basically the conclusion is this is discontinuity. If you start out with a cell that has less than 65% accuracy in replication, nothing can happen. The cells can't, the cells can't survive. Certainly they don't evolve. Done. So how does a cell get to 65% accuracy? That's not bad. That's, that's a pretty accurate attempt but it's not enough. You have to get above that. So if you have a cell that's 50% accurate in its replication, whatever the mechanism is, it's doomed. Uh, and that's what this paper is about. It was recently accepted for publication in Acta Biotheoretica, which is a mainstream peer-reviewed scientific journal. And I think this paper, uh, I, I hope people, uh, read it and understand the point of it. I'm going to be writing another paper that's less technical. Uh, but I think that this, this is a, there's not much answer to this because this is making no assumptions whatsoever. You could take any system you want, the same, the same effect will occur. And this is just based on statistics. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please subscribe to my podcast and also check out my website at cygar.com. Take a look at my YouTube channel, Faithful Science. Science is spelled S-Y-E-N-C-E. 
and follow me on Twitter and find me on Facebook. Thanks again and God bless you all.